Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the podcast. Talking about Emily Bronte. I have a baby in my arms right now. Little Toby's here. Very peaceful. It's been a very hot day. We've gone from this long winter that just stretched into December, which probably sounds funny, but remembering we're in Australia where it was nearly a month into summer and it was still winter. Like we didn't even get a spring. Um, Just cold and dreary. And then we had about a week of okay weather and now it's like too hot. So like, you know, we just can't win. I'm not complaining. Well, I mean, I am, but I'd rather it be too hot than what we had. But it's just also a bit depressing that it's like, can we just have some enjoyable weather? You know, just lovely, nice days. A lovely, nice day where the weather isn't impacting your day. It's just accommodating your day. Nope. Not in Melbourne. Not this year. Emily Bronte. Regarding Emily Bronte's death. Yes, this is what I wanted. Swim, thank you for this. An 1850 investigation by Benjamin Herschel Babbage, which was instigated by Patrick Bronte, the novelist's father, and the parish priest, shortly after her death, when she was only 30 years old. Um, oh, Emily Branwell and Anne. Are they all Brontes? They died at 30, 31 and 29 showed that the small town of Haworth, where the Brontes lived, had much higher mortality rates than other nearby towns of similar size. 41.6% of Haworth's inhabitants died before the age of six. The average age of death was 25.8. Babbage, seeking to get to the bottom of these statistics, found, among other things, that there were not enough privies for the population and that those had they had were filthy, not properly drained and bizarrely much too public. Two of the privies used by a dozen families each are in a public street, he wrote, not only within view of the houses but exposed to the gaze of passers-by, whilst a third, as though even such a situation were too private, is perched upon an eminence commanding the whole length of the main street. The cesspit beneath this privy would sometimes overflow into the street and water tap was two yards away from its door. Then there was the graveyard, which sat on a hill right in front of the parsonage where the Brontes live which Babbage found to be overstuffed, badly laid out and poorly oxygenated so that much of the decomposing material from the graves had filtered into the town's water supply. The long-term exposure to harmful bacteria would have made the Brontes weaker, shorter and more susceptible to other diseases. There you go. Um, That makes... It's a bit different from my version of it, but essentially the same... Um, dead person water. <laughs> they drank too much dead person water. Swim says the mum fishy says, we have averaged 6.67 pages over the last 15 days. In my version. The pace was slower during this time period. At this rate, we will finish up in 38 days. Yep, I know I have slowed down the rate. Um, just due to the time of year, really. Christmas things, family things, work things, baby things, all kinds of things. Just... Uh, all 
at the same time, all accumulating. So it's a busy time of year, so I've been doing shorter podcasts um, and hence fewer pages per podcast. But that's okay. 38 days, unacceptable. We're going to do it in 30 at the most. That's my promise, which means what I need to do, pick up the pace by like a quarter, nearly. The wintry tone, says Tegrific, an atmosphere of remembrance, spoke to me as did the themes of time, love and death. Classical themes were well used by Emily. Ending the poem with a question is powerful. Can we ever really move on from sorrow? The prisoner was really powerful. The lady prisoner is so aloof and seemingly unfazed by her situation because hope visits her every night. What a concept. Emily is such a goth badass. I really like her poetry. She is a goth badass. That is the perfect way to describe her. Um, I'm adding her to my little list here before I forget. Emily Bronte and Prisoners. Oh, the pri- no, what is it? The Prisoner was a good one. I did also like that one, Tech. That was my favourite. Um, <laughs> I just realised I, I made this document in you know, Google Documents to make a list of the poets I liked and I did it on the fly whilst I was podcasting and the name of the document is Poets Good Poets Good um, alright who do we have for you today um, oh excuse me Charles Kingsley is our first 18 oh, sorry yeah 1819 to 1875 Early Beacon Early Beacon, Early Beacon, oh, the pleasant sight to see. Shires and towns from Early Beacon, while my love climbed up to me. Early Beacon, Early Beacon, oh, the happy hours we lay, deep in fern on Early Beacon, courting through the summer's day. Early Beacon, Early Beacon, oh, the weary haunt for me, all alone on Early Beacon, with his baby on my knee. What do you think of that, Toby? He's still sleeping, and his dummy has dropped out of his mouth onto his chest. That's a good sign. Are you waking up? Moving right along. The Sands of D. Hey, buddy. Oh, Mary, go and call the cattle home, and call the cattle home, and call the cattle home, across the Sands of D. The western wind was wild and dark with foam, and all alone went she. The western tide crept up along the sand, and over and over the sand, and round and round the sand, as far as I could see. The rolling mist came down and hid the land, and never home came she. Oh, is it weed or fish or floating hair, a tress of golden hair, a drowned maiden's hair, above the nets at sea, was never summoned yet that shone so fair among the skates of Dee. They rowed, oh sorry, they rowed her in across the rolling foam, the cruel crawling foam, the cruel hungry foam, to her grave beside the sea. But still the boatmen hear her call the cattle home across the sands of Dee. Pretty, I liked that too. I liked that too. The sands of Dee. Let me just get copy... Paste the name of that one. Alright, cooking with gas. Arthur Hugh Clough. 
cloth 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 c l o u c l o u g h cloth is it like cough with an l Arthur Hugh cloth say not oh sorry eighteen nineteen to eighteen sixty one say not the struggle naught availeth say not the struggle naught availeth the labour and the wounds are vain the enemy faints not nor faileth and as things have been they remain if hopes were dupes, fears may be liars. It may be in yon smoke concealed. Your comrades chase even now the flyers, and, but for you, possess the field. For while the tired waves vainly breaking seem here no painful inch to gain, far back through creeks and inlets making, comes silent, flooding in again. Flooding in, sorry. Comes silent, flooding in the main. And not by eastern windows only, when daylight comes, comes in the light. In front the sun climbs slow, how slowly, but westward, look, the land is bright. Alright, we'll stop there again, just two today, but we're still moving through. Um, tomorrow we've got Walt Whitman. There's only two poems here by Walt Whitman, which I find very bizarre. But, um, yeah, we'll start a freshie with old Whitman, because he is an absolute legend. Thanks for listening, folks. See you tomorrow.